Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to Fundamentally Mormon. This is your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. Today we'll be reading chapter 13 of Michael Adams, speaking about the Adam-God doctrine. We'll be on pages 145 to 160. This chapter is titled, The Voices of Opposition. The reader portion of the program is 37 minutes long. After the reader portion of the program, we'll get into the reading and the commentary portion of the program. Anyone who has questions about the Adam-God doctrine can call in during that portion of the program. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. People who call will be brought into the call screening room where you can ask your questions or comments and then if you choose to go live on the air, we'll bring you on the air and unmute your mic. Fundamentally Mormon goes live Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also use your phone to call into the program to listen, but you can also listen online at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon and you can use the chat room there for any questions or comments to the host anyone who has questions about theology will be taken after the commentary portion of the program and once again the guest call in number is 917 917- Eight eight nine eight eight two seven. Let's get into the commentary. Thank you for listening. The Voices of Opposition, Chapter Thirteen of Michael Adam on the Adam God Doctrine, Pages One Hundred and Forty Five to One Hundred and Sixty. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It appears that the controversy over the true God is as much an issue in our dispensation as it was in the days of Moses, Elijah, or Christ. Thus, President Brigham Young had difficulty in teaching the true identity of God to the saints. Since many members refused to accept the Adam-God doctrine, it was never firmly established as a tenet of the church. Although Brigham Young was the president, prophet, seer and revelator to the church, he met continual rebellion against this doctrine and even from some of his own apostles. The most prominent opponent, at least for a while, was Apostle Osin Pratt. Elder Samuel Richards wrote, Evening with the Regency in the upper room of the President's office, 
examining the spelling for the new books in the D alphabet. A very serious conversation took place between President B. Young and Urson Pratt upon doctrine. OP was directly opposed to the President's views, and very freely expressed his entire disbelief in them after being told by the President that things were so and so in the name of the Lord. He was firmly in the position that the President's word in the name of the Lord, was not the word of the Lord to him. The President did not believe that person Pratt would ever be Adam, to learn by experience the facts discussed, but that every person in the room would be if they lived faithful. History of Samuel W. Richards, March the 11th, 1856, p. 15. Other members of the church noted the difference of opinion between President Young and Apostle Pratt on the Adam-God doctrine, and Joseph Lee Robinson wrote in his journal, There were some that did not believe the sayings of the prophet Brigham. Even our beloved brother Urson Pratt told me that he did not believe it. He said he could prove by the scriptures it was not correct. I felt sorry to hear Professor Pratt say that. I fear lest he should apostatize. Diary of Joseph Lee Robinson, 102-103 This doctrinal controversy within the General Presidency was noticed and discussed many places in the Church. In provoke was recorded into the minutes of the School of the Prophets that Apostle Leman also disbelieved it. The doctrine preached by President Young a few years back wherein he says that Adam is our God, the God we worship and ash that most of the people believe this. Some believe it because the President says so, others because they can find testimony in the Book of Mormon and Book of Doctrine and Covenants. A Muslim man stumbled on this, he does not believe it. He did not believe in the atonement of Jesus. Person Pratt has also told the President that he does not believe it. This is not the way to act. Abraham O. Smooth, Minutes, School of the Prophets, June 18, 1868, Provo, Utah. Opposition to this doctrine began to grow much stronger after the death of Brigham Young. Towards the end of the century the first public discourses against this doctrine began to appear. At first the opponents of the doctrine began a resistance in the form of aversion, thus avoiding contentions and arguments. Gradually, however, it grew into open hostility 147 through the years, as shown by the following statement and dash beginning with 1892 and continuing to the present day. 1892 Perez Less than George Q. Greater than Cannon said that it was not necessary that we should endorse the doctrine that some men taught that Adam was the father of Jesus Christ. Charles Walker J. R. N. L. 2. 741 1895 How much longer I shall talk to this people I do not know. But I want to say this to all Israel, cease troubling yourselves about who God is, who Adam is, who Christ is, who Jehovah is. For heaven's sake, 
let these things alone. Why trouble yourselves about these things? God has revealed himself and when the 121st section of the doctrine and covenants is fulfilled, whether there be one God or many gods, they will be revealed to the children of men, as well as all thrones and dominions, principalities, and powers. Then why trouble yourselves about these things? God is God. Christ is Christ. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. That should be enough for you and me to know. If we want to know any more, wait till we get where God is in person. I say this because we are troubled every little while with inquiries from elders anxious to know who God is, who Christ is, and who Adam is. I say to the elders of Israel, stop this. Wilford Woodruff, Mill. Star 57, 355, April the 7th, 1895, 1898 concerning the doctrine in regard to Adam and the Saviour. The prophet Brigham Young taught some things concerning that. But the first presidency and the twelve do not think it wise to advocate these matters. It is sufficient to know we, 148, have a Father and dash God the Eternal Father, who reveals himself by his Holy Spirit unto those who seek him. And that Jesus Christ is his Son, our Redeemer, the Saviour of the world. First Sunday School Convention, 1898, p. 88. Apparently about this time a change in the temple instructions were made, because of the unbelief and disagreements that were caused over this doctrine. One elder records the following in his journal. Brother Horn and I chatted again tonight about the Gospel and the Adam-God doctrine, as we have done many times before. Brother Horn, who grew up in Salt Lake City and was the son of Richard Horn and grandson of Joseph Horn, said in dash in reference to the Adam God doctrine and dash that when he first went through the temple, Salt Lake, for his endowment in 1902 before going on his mission he was surprised to hear the teachings during the temple ceremony that Adam was our God and that he came here with Eve, one of his wives. Also, it was taught that Eve bore our spirits, that is, the spirits of all men. He asked his father about it but he declined to give any opinion about it. After Brother Horn returned from his mission a few years later, in 1905, he noted these teachings had been removed from the temple ceremony. He feels that they were left over from Brigham Young's influence but that he himself, Brother Horn, couldn't believe such doctrine. He thinks perhaps Brigham just got off in his speculation. From C. Jess Grosbeck's on his journal, Volume 1, p. 291, other changes, though very small, began their slow, but sure dissolving powers upon that doctrine. In a regularly sung hymn the words once read, Sons of Michael, he approaches. Rise, the Eternal Father greet. Bow your thousands, woe before him. Minister before his feet. 
149, Sacred Hymns for Church of J.C.M.L.D.S. 20th ed. 1891, 375, 376. This song sometime later was changed to read, Sons of Michael, he approaches. Rise, the ancient father greet. Nineteen oh two men had ridiculed the elders for believing that Adam was a god. We are not ashamed of this doctrine. Jesus said in speaking to the Jews in relation to Abraham, that they were gods unto whom the word of God comes. But though we look upon Adam as a god, we worship the same god that Adam worshipped in the Garden of Eden. And on H. Lund, Mill. Star 64, 742. What is called the Adam God Doctrine may properly be classed among the mysteries. The full truth concerning it has not been revealed to us. And until it is revealed, all wild speculations, sweeping assertions and dogmatic declarations relative thereto, are out of place and improper. We disapprove of them and especially the public expression of such views. Joseph F. Smith, Joseph F. Smith Personal Letter Book, 26-27-1903 There has been much discussion in mutual improvement associations and in theological classes of the Sunday schools over the exact status of the first man Adam in the doctrines of our church. Some remarks concerning him by President Brigham Young in a discourse delivered in this city many years ago have been commented upon, added to, and sometimes misinterpreted in a manner that has led to considerable confusion and misunderstanding. Charles W. Penrose, Imp. Era 5, 873, 150, 1910 Whether the mortal bodies of men evolved in natural processes to present perfection, through the direction and power of God, whether the first parents of our generation, Adam and Eve, were transplanted from another sphere, with immortal tabernacles, which became corrupted through sin and the partaking of natural foods, in the process of time. Whether they were born here in mortality, as other mortals have been, are questions not fully answered in the revealed word of God. Joseph F. Smith, Imp. Era, 13. 570, 1912 speculations as to the career of Adam before he came to the earth are of no real value. We learn by revelation that he was Michael, the archangel, and that he stands at the head of his posterity on earth. Dogmatic assertions do not take the place of revelation, and we should be satisfied with that which is accepted as doctrine, and not discuss matters that, after all disputes, are merely matters of theory. Joseph F. Smith, Anthon H. Lund, Charles W. Penrose, Imp. Era 15, 417, 1916 There still remains, I can tell by the letters I have alluded to, an idea among some of the people that Adam was and is the Almighty and Eternal God. The 
notion has taken hold of some of our brethren that Adam is the being that we should worship. I am sorry that has not been rectified long ago, because plain answers have been given to brethren and sisters who write and desire to know about it, and yet it still lingers, and contentions arise in regard to it, and there should be no contentions among Latter-day Saints. Who is the person Adam prayed to? Adam prayed to God. So Adam was neither the Father, nor the Son, nor the Holy Ghost, was he? Then who was he? Why, we are told he was Michael in his first, 151, estate, and as Adam he will stand at the head of his race. Jesus of Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, was literally and truly the Son of the Father, the eternal God, not of Adam. Charles W. Penrose, Conf. Rept. April 1916, 16-17, 23. 1921 As a matter of fact the Mormon Church does not teach that doctrine. A few men in the Mormon Church have held such views and several of them quite prominent in the councils of the church, but the church has made announcement of no such doctrine, nor has the church propounded it to the world or accepted it by any article of its faith. Here I invoke the principles laid down in the early part of my remarks, viz. that the church may only rightly be charged with those doctrines which may be adduced from the official documents she herself set forth as the sources of her doctrine, the very revelations of God that she has officially accepted, and from these sources the above may not be proven. Brigham Young and others may have taught that doctrine, but it has never been accepted by the church as her doctrine, and she is not in any way responsible for it. B. H. Roberts, July the 10th, 1921, Des. News, July the 23rd, 1921, 1925. Those who peddle the well-worn Adam God myth usually charge the Latter-day Saints with believing that one, our Father in heaven, the supreme God, to whom we pray, is Adam, the first man, and two, Adam was the father of Jesus Christ. A long series of absurd and false deductions are made from these propositions. John A. Widso, Evidences and Reconciliation, p. 68. Brigham Young's much-discussed sermon says that Jesus was begotten in the flesh by the same 152 character that was in the Garden of Eden, and who is our Father in Heaven. Enemies of the Church, or stupid people, reading also that Adam is our Father and our God, have heralded far and wide that the Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was begotten of Adam. Yet, the rational reading of the whole sermon reveals the falsity of such a doctrine. It is explained that God the Father was in the Garden of Eden before Adam, that he was the father of Adam, and that this same personage, God the Father, who was in the Garden of Eden before Adam, 
who was the father of Jesus Christ, when the Son took upon himself a mortal body. That is, the same personage was the father of Adam and of Jesus Christ. In the numerous published sermons of Brigham Young, this is the doctrine that appears. None other. The assertion is repeatedly made that Jesus Christ was begotten by God, the Father, distinct by any stretch of imagination from Adam. This is a well-established Latter-day Saint doctrine. Abed. One vol. Ed. 56-57-1931 If what is meant is that Adam had passed on to celestial glory through a resurrection before he came here, and that afterwards he was appointed to this earth to die again, the second time becoming mortal, then it is not scriptural or according to the truth. But J. Grant, Mass. At the first prayers. 5-290 February the 26th, 1931, 1939 Relationship of Loim, Jehovah, and Michael. If the enemies of the church, who quote this wish to be honest, they could not help seeing that President Brigham Young definitely declares that Adam is Michael, the Archangel, the Ancient of Ace, which indicates definitely that Adam is not Loim, or the God whom we worship, who is the Father of Jesus Christ. In all probability the sermon was, 153, erroneously transcribed. Joseph F. L. D. G. Smith, Doc. F. Sal. 1, 96, April 15, 1939, 1949 lashing out at persons who expound the belief that Adam is the god of this world. Elder Hunter stated that such doctrine is false and impossible and must be destroyed. The idea that Adam is the god of this world, or that he was transplanted here from another planet is false and misleading, he declared. Milton R. Hunter, Provo Daily Herald, March 22, 1949, p. 9. 1958 cultists and other enemies of the restored truth, for their own nefarious purposes, sometimes try to make it appear that Latter-day Saints worship Adam as their father in heaven. In support of their false assumptions, they quote such statements as that of President Brigham Young to the effect that Adam is our father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. There is no mystery about this doctrine except that which persons ignorant of the great principles of exaltation and unfriendly to the cause of righteousness have attempted to make. Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, 1st ed. 17-18-1972 Adam is not the father of Jesus Christ. Question. In the Journal of Discourses Brigham Young is quoted as saying, Jesus, our elder brother, was begotten in the flesh by the same character that was in the Garden of Eden, and who is our Father in Heaven. I am unable to harmonize this with your statement that Adam is not the Father of Jesus Christ. Will you please clarify this discrepancy of opinion? 
Answer. The expression that he was the same character that was in the Garden of Eden has led to 154 misunderstanding because of the implication which many place upon it that it had reference to Adam. I maintain that President Young was not referring to Adam, but to God the Father, who created Adam, for he was in the Garden of Eden, and according to Mormon doctrine, Adam was in his presence constantly. President Brigham Young did not believe and did not teach that Jesus Christ was begotten by Adam. Joseph F. L. D. G. Smith and to Gospel Kiss. Priesthood Manual, 1972-73-20-22-1976 We warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures and which are alleged to have been taught by some of the general authorities of past generations. Such for instance the Adam-God theory. We denounce that theory and hope that everyone will be cautioned against this and other kinds of false doctrines. Spencer W. Kimball, Des. News, October the 9th, 1976. Criticism of the Adam-God doctrine seemed to be the strongest from the thundering and dramatic pen of Bruce R. McConkie, who wrote, this so-called Adam-God theory is false and contrary to all the body of revealed truth. It negates the essential features of the whole plan of salvation, belittles God, and makes mockery of the atonement of His Son, and postulates the utterly absurd notion that Christ, His Son, had to work out an atoning sacrifice which would bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of God the Father. Criticism of Factions, Bruce R. McConkie, Jesse B. Stern sarcastically answers these remarks of Elder McConkie and states that all of these attacks against the Adam God doctrine are directed against the early leaders and their teachings. 155. We not only compliment Elder McConkie for writing the above, but also marvel at his courage. By disposing of the Adam God theory, he also destroys the doctrinal teachings of the early church prophets, such as Brigham Young, and a large portion of the temple endowment services as well. The Dilemmas of Mormonism, Stone, p. 9. However, there always have been a few who continue to believe in this doctrine as advocated by Brigham Young, and in 1921 there were still divisions of thought among the church leaders concerning Adam's relationship to deity. I'm going to assume responsibility for making this statement. That man came here, was placed here as an immortal, glorified, resurrected being. I want to make myself clear, because these lectures are going to the brethren, and if they want to correct them, they can. I believe it was that fruit that changed and modified Adam's resurrected body, and again made it subject to death. Is that clear? At least, I want you to get my idea, and may I say the church does not teach this as doctrine.
many of the authorities do. Others teach that a body was prepared in some way for Adam and Eve. John M. Whitaker, Seminary Lectures, BYU, Lecture 10, June 24, 1921. The Adam God Doctrine was actually taught by Brigham Young and many others for a period of over 50 years, but the defenses for that doctrine gradually diminished. Critics against this doctrine have used the arguments of misquoted, misinterpreted, misunderstood, and various other attacks to sink the doctrine out of existence. However, Brigham Young's persistent teaching cannot be easily disputed. Professor Rodney Turner of Brigham Young University wrote his excellent master's thesis on the subject of Adam and the Adam God Doctrine. This thesis undoubtedly has excelled 156 in creating more interest and research in church doctrine than any other thesis at BYU. Professor Turner acknowledged that there can be no reasonable justification for anyone to misinterpret the meaning or subterfuge the actuality of Brigham Young's teachings on this subject. Said he, a careful, detached study of his available statements as found in the official publications of the church, will admit of no other conclusion than the identification of Adam with God the Father by President Brigham Young as an irrefutable fact. We cannot ignore or subvert those of his ideas which were expressed in undeniably specific terms, in order to justify and sustain uncertain interpretations of his intent in general ones. Rodney Turner, Position of Adam in LDS Scripture and Theology, August 1953. A few individuals continue to refer to or teach this doctrine, but the increasing voices of opposition soon quieted those of the mainstream advocates. About 1937 to 1939 the first threats of excommunication were made to those advocating the doctrine. In some stakes excommunication occurred nearly as quickly as for any other unacceptable belief or deed. On the other hand, a hundred years ago feelings ran so high in support of this doctrine that on at least one occasion a man was excommunicated for not believing that Adam was our God. President of the European Mission, Apostle Francis M. Lehmann, said, While we are in the church we are apt to think that we are pure and holy, and that every brother or sister who does not come up to the mark which we have imagined to be the right one must be wrong. Well, is this right? There is not, perhaps, anybody in the church who feels and thinks exactly as I do. Must I therefore conclude they are all wrong? Among the people you are going to try and save are 157, those who are honest and those who are dishonest and dash those who are pure and those who are impure. Cultivate, therefore, charity and wisdom to deal with all of their circumstances may demand, and ever remember your business is to do them good. Persons sometimes say that they have enjoyed the spirit of the work as much since they were cut off as while they were in the church. Have they enjoyed the spirit? Yes. Why? Simply because they were wrongfully cut off. 
they were cut off in such a way that it did not take the Spirit of God from them. And the reason why they were cut off was because they did not come up to the particular standard of perfection of those who dealt with them, or they did not come up to their feelings. I have heard of a man who was cut off because he would not believe that Adam was our Father and God. Well, but was it not so? Its being so does not change the fact that we are sinners and need salvation, and such preaching does not help men and women to repent of their sins. I call all that preaching senseless, which cannot be applied. When we get where such things are needed, we shall be better able to understand them. We want men to be sober, temperate, just, honest, virtuous, and pure, always doing right, rising in progressive intelligence, and helping their fellows to rise also. And to accomplish this we must teach them to be so and dash teach them principles which they can comprehend and apply. When men know so much that they cannot preach from things on the earth, but have to go to heaven for them, I would as soon they would stop preaching and go home. Men have tried to preach how the resurrection was going to be brought about, and all those great things, a knowledge of which is so much sought after by some individuals. Such preaching will not redeem mankind, nor make them wiser and happier. As for believing that Adam was our God, I do not know but that we are gods. Only, if it is so, we are very young yet. But could we ever feel that we are the children of a God who watches over us with more care and solicitude than we can bestow upon the little ones who call us fathers here on the earth? Would not our desires and object be to 158 when the continued love of such a parent by leaving off everything wrong? while we would seek to fill up the whole aggregate of our judgments with knowledge that is pure and holy, that we might become like that Father and be prepared to dwell with Him. Then it is well to think that God is our Father, and whether it be Adam or anyone else, ever struggle upwards, upwards. Always keep your hearts and faces upwards, and let every struggle you make be to carry you to the harbor of rest, the haven of peace, where you may enjoy the felicity awaiting the faithful children of our God. May the Lord bless you. Amen. Francis M. Leman, Mill. Star 24, 99-100, February the 15th, 1862. How ironic that the man was excommunicated for not believing that Adam was God M- and then a hundred years later some were excommunicated for believing that he was. Perhaps the action of those state presidents, both a hundred years ago and those of the present, could be traced to over-enthusiasm. If there should be any excommunications at all concerning the doctrine of Adam's identity, they perhaps ought to be against those who believe in evolution m for they deny the existence of Adam altogether. The scriptures positively identify Adam's existence. The Old and New Testaments, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price and the voices of all our modern day prophets declare that there was an Adam on the earth. Whether Adam is a son of God or the son of a God, may be a technicality with some speculation, but for Christian people, 
in or out of the church, to deny Adam's existence and believe in the theory of evolution, is absolutely undescriptural. Excommunication should be reserved for those who refute the scriptures. But compulsion for belief was never a part of Joseph Smith's principles, for he said, 159 I will not seek to compel any man to believe as I do, only by the force of reasoning, the truth will cut its own way. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, p. 313 Nevertheless, since the April Conference of 1852, many Latter-day Saints felt the problem of Adam's fall had finally been clarified. To others, however, Brigham Young's teaching presented only greater perplexities and theological frustrations. Showing the existing confusion, Dr. Cully Christensen made the following observations. Those who disbelieve the doctrine, yet hold to the belief that the church is true, do so by adhering to one or more of the following proposals. 1. That Brigham Young did not teach the Adam-God doctrine, but was in fact misinterpreted, misrepresented or misrecorded. 2. That Brigham did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but that these teachings were not church doctrine. 3. That Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but he was merely expressing a personal opinion or idea. 4. That Brigham did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but while enunciating these teachings he was not acting within the purview of his prophetic calling. 5. That Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong that Brigham was doing God's bidding as the Lord wanted the saints, at that point in their progression, to believe false doctrine. 6. That Brigham did teach the Adam-God doctrine which was then true, but is no longer true today. 7. That Brigham, knowing that true sheep always recognize their master's voice, deliberately advanced false doctrine as a means of separating the wheat from the tares. 168. That Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but God has tolerance for the mortal mistakes of men whether they be a prophet or not. In other words, a prophet can make a mistake and still remain a prophet. The very nature of the above hypothesis underscores the difficulty modern theorists have in harmonizing the past with the present. The Adam Godmaze, Christensen, 106-107, we may conclude by saying that the mysteries of God have never been easily explained, and already accepted, whenever they have been taught. For this reason, many great truths, in history and doctrine, have been purposely withheld by God from the general masses of mankind. 161 Okay, so that's the end of the commentary portion of the program. Well, not the commentary portion, the reader program portion. 
We'll get into the commentary portion of the program at this time. Once again, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827 if you want to call in to listen. If you want to call in for questions on the Adam-God Doctrine. And then uh, questions on theology can be asked after the commentary portion of the reader program. We go live Monday through Friday from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. And you can listen at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. There's also a chat room there as well as the links to read this chapter uh, without any of the audio. Uh, Also links for this book that we're reading and other great books on theology will be posted in the description of that. You can also listen to this in the future at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, other podcast platforms, and at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. All right, let's get into the commentary. Thank you for listening. Okay, Emmett, you have been unmuted. Are you there? Kim? I'm I'm here. Okay. Uh you ready to go? Uh mom's reading. Oh okay, mom's gonna read tonight. Yeah, Olivia's having a problem. Okay. Understood. <laughs> um Yeah, she did something we asked her not to do and stole her brother's tablet to do it and uh, links and everything yeah. already have already been stated. Uh, by the way, for people okay. listening, the links there are links in the description at Blog Talk Radio on this particular program for you to find the chapter to read. Uh, you can also find that at Tumblr dot com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, and then. Uh, links to find Michael Adam, the book to read for free online, as well as other books on uh, theology. There's a lot of books there at that link. It's ogdenkraut.com. And uh, I don't agree with everything Ogden stated, but um, I think that it's really good. He compiled a ton of quotes from leaders past and present in the church, at least present to the point where he lived. I think he died in 2012. Um, And he didn't quote too much from uh, people like Gordon B. Hinckley and Thomas Monson, but I actually appreciate Thomas Monson. He didn't speak out against the early doctrines quite so much as others. And he kind of tried to keep it keep it basic and simple. And I think Gordon B. Hinckley did the same as well. Um, but others that lived during that time, like Boyd K. Packer and those guys, they they you know they don't want you to know about it. And if if you do know about it, they want to say that you know Brigham Young was just teaching his opinions to the church, which I think is interesting because at the same time they'll say. The leader of the church can never lead you astray, 
and they say that Brigham Young led the church astray, and many other leaders, by the way, that we have seen in the, this reading, in the reading of Michael Adams, that uh, there were many people who believed the Adam-God doctrine. And uh, what I find is interesting is that when, in the Temple Endowment, the Elohim uh, tell Jehovah to take Michael to create the earth, it's Michael that does the work. And Joseph Smith said that uh, the title of God the Father, Father is God the Creator. So we know that Jesus Christ organized as well, but that was our create and organize are the same word in Hebrew. And uh, Jesus Christ organized the spirit, that he did not create the earth. That was the work of the Father, and we know that the Father that did that was Michael. And that when it says the Christ and Michael, not Jesus. So anyway, uh, I guess I'll just mute myself. Go ahead, Kim. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I'm on wash plant, though, so. Okay. All right. So I do have some kids probably here in the background you might be able to hear. I don't know. But um, I will go ahead and do the reading. I have it pulled open right here. I'm trying to make sure I'm on the right part, though. It's uh, page 145, Chapter 13, Voices of Opposition. Um, yeah, so I will start reading that right here. <clears throat> it says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It appears that the controversy over the true God is as much an issue in our dispensation as it was in the days of Moses, Elijah, or, or Christ. Thus, President Brigham Young had difficulty in teaching the true identity of God to the saints. Since many members refused to accept the Adam-God doctrine, it was never firmly established as a tenet of the church. Although Brigham Young was the president, prophet, seer, and revelator to the church, he met continual rebellion against this doctrine, even from some of his own apostles. The most prominent op- uh, opponent, at least for a while, was Apostle Orson Pratt. Elder Samuel Richards wrote in History of Samuel W. Richards, March 11th, 1856, page 15. <clears throat> it says, Evening with the Regency in the upper room of the President's office, office examining the spelling for the new books in the D alphabet, a very serious conver- con- uh, sorry, conversation took place between President Brigham Young and Orson Pratt upon doctrine OP was directly opposed, uh, I guess OP means Orson Pratt, was directly opposed to the president's views and very freely expressed his entire disbelief in them after being told by the president that things were so and so in the name of the Lord. He was firm in the position that the president's word in the name of the Lord was not the word of the Lord to him. The president did not believe that Orson Pratt would ever be Adam to learn by experience the facts discussed, but that every person in that in the room would be if they lived faithful. That's history of Samuel W. Richards, March 11th, 1856, page 15. Other members of the church noted the difference of opinion between President Young and Apostle Pratt on the Adam-God doctrine, and Joseph Lee Robinson wrote in his journal, Diary of Joseph Lee Robinson, pages 102 
to 103. <clears throat> Sorry. Quote, there were some that did not believe the sayings of the prophet Brigham. Even our beloved brother Orson Pratt told me that he did not believe it. He said he could prove by the scriptures it was not correct. I felt sorry to hear Professor Pratt say that. I fear lest he should apostatize. End quote. From Diary of Joseph Lee Robinson, pages 102 through 103. This doctrinal controversy within the general presidency was noticed and discussed many places in the church. In Provo, it was recorded into the minutes of the school of the prophets that Apostle Lyman also believed it. In Abraham O. Smoot minutes, School of the Prophets, June 18, 1868, Provo, Utah, quote, the doctrine preached by President Young a few years back, wherein he says that Adam is our God, the God we worship, that most of the people believe this. Some believe it because the president says so. Others because they can find testimony in the Book of Mormon and Book of Doctrine and Covenants. The Mason Lyman stumbled on this. He does not believe it. He did not believe in the atonement of Jesus. Orson Pratt has also told the president that he does not believe it. This is not the way to act. End quote. From Abraham O. Smoot Minutes, School of the Prophets, June 18, 1868, in Provo, Utah. <clears throat> Opposition to this doctrine began to grow much stronger after the death of Brigham Young. Towards the end of the century, the first public discourses against this doctrine began to appear. At first, the opponents of the doctrine began a resistance in the form of aversion, thus avoiding contentions and arguments. Gradually, however, it grew into open hostility through the years, as shown by, following state, by the following statements, beginning with 1892 and continuing to the present, present day. This is Charles Walker Journal, Volume 2, page 741, in 1892. President George Q. Cannon said that it was not necessary that we should endorse the doctrine that some men taught that Adam was the father of Jesus Christ. In 1895, it says, how much longer I shall talk to this people, I do not know. But I want to say this to all Israel. Cease troubling yourselves about who God is who Adam is, who Christ is, who Jehovah is. For heaven's sake, let these things alone. Why trouble yourselves about these things? God has revealed himself, and when the 121st section of the Doctrine and Covenants is fulfilled, whether there be one God or many gods, they will be revealed to the children of men, as well as all thrones and dominions, principalities and powers. Then why trouble yourselves about these things? God is God. Christ is Christ. The Holy Ghost is the Holy Ghost. That should be enough for you and me to know. If we want to know any more, wait till we get where God is in person. I say this because we are troubled every little while with inquiries from elders anxious to know who God is, who Christ is, and who Adam is. I say to the elders of Israel, stop this. That comes from Wilfred Woodruff, Millennial Star, page 57, or volume 57, page 355, April 7th, 1895. And now, 1898. Concerning the doctrine in regard to Adam and the Savior, the prophet Brigham Young taught some things concerning that. But the first presidency and the Twelve do not think it wise to advocate these matters. It is sufficient to know we have a Father God, the Eternal Father, who reveals himself by his Holy Spirit unto those who seek him, and that Jesus Christ is his Son, our Redeemer, the Savior of the world. 
end quote, from First Sunday School Convention, 1898, page 88. We're on page 148 if you wanted to say anything. Um, not really. I'm at the spur. I'm getting ready to dump my load. Um, Wilfred Woodruff had to make up a bunch of crap because people had been taught for so many years the importance of certain doctrines like the law of consecration in the United Orders, the Council of 50, plural celestial marriage, the Adam-God doctrine, the law of adoption, rebaptism, the gathering of Israel, and the list goes on and on and on. And when he compromised with the United States government, they did away with all of those things. And people were pushing back on him for doing that. And uh, he was told specifically not to do away with plural marriage or give in to the Gentiles in Revelation in Arizona only years before that. You know, and uh, John Taylor was also told specifically by Jesus Christ not to do what Wilfred Woodruff did eventually. So, I mean, they didn't listen. And they had to come up with all these crazy doctrines about how the church can never lead you astray. I stopped in the plan and all the crap that he stated. But, well, the way I look at it is either the church led them astray in, in um, you know, in the Adam-God doctrine or or the doctrine is true and the later leaders are leading the, the church astray, but you can't have it both ways, which is what the LDS church is, has tried to do for the past 120 plus years, 130 years. So anyway, um, I got to get out. So I'll mute myself. Continuing on. Apparently about this time, a change in the temple instructions were made because of the unbelief and disagreements that were caused over this doctrine. One elder records the following in his journal. This is from C. Jeff Rosebeck Elder's Journal, Volume 1, page 291. Quote, Brother Horn and I chatted again tonight about the gospel and the Adam-God doctrine, as we have done many times before. Brother Horn, who grew up in Salt Lake City and was the son of Richard Horn and the grandson of Joseph Horn, said in reference to the Adam-God doctrine that when he first went through the temple in Salt Lake, for his endowment in 1902, before going on his mission, he was surprised to hear the teachings during the temple ceremony that Adam was our God and that he came here with Eve, one of his wives, also that it was taught that Eve bore our spirits, i.e. the spirits of all men. He asked his father about it, but he declined to give any opinion about it. After Brother Horn returned from his mission a few years later, in 1905, he noted these teachings and had been removed from the and so he noted these teachings had been removed from the temple ceremony. He feels that they were left over from Brigham Young's influence, but that he himself, Brother Horn, couldn't believe such doctrine. He thinks perhaps Brigham just got off on his speculation. From C. Jeskosbeck's Elder's Journal, Volume 1, page 291. Other changes, though very small, began their slow but sure dissolving powers upon the doctrine. In a regularly sung hymn, the words once read, Sons of Michael, he approaches, rise the eternal father, Greek, bow ye thousands low before him, minister before his feet. Page 149. 
Sacred Hymns for Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, 20th edition, 1891, pages 375 and 376. This song sometime later was changed to read, Sons of Michael, he approaches, rise the ancient father Greek. And now 1902. Men had ridiculed the elders for believing that Adam was a god. We are not ashamed of this doctrine. Jesus said in speaking to the Jews in relation to Abraham that they were gods unto whom the word of God comes. But though we look upon Adam as a god, we worship the same god that Adam worshipped in the Garden of Eden. That's from Anton H. Lund, Millennial Star, 64, page 742. What is called the Adam-God doctrine may properly be classed among the mysteries. The full truth concerning it has not been revealed to us, and until it is revealed, all wide speculations, sweeping assertions, or assertions sorry, and dogmatic declarations relative thereto are out of place and improper. We disprove of them, and especially the public expression of such views. That's Joseph Smith's, Joseph Smith's personal letter book, pages 26 and 27. 1903. There has been much discussion in mutual improvement associations and theological classes of the Sunday schools over the exact status of the first man, Adam, and the doctrines of our church. Some remarks concerning him by President Brigham Young in a discourse delivered in this city many years ago have been commented upon, adding to and sometimes misinterpreted in a matter, in a manner that has led to considerable confusion and misunderstanding. Charles W. Penrose, Empirical Era, Volume 5, page 873. Now we're on page 150. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to talk about. Um, I was thinking of some things, but I just pulled off the groove. Um, you know, to call into question Brigham Young on these things as an Orthodox member of the LDS Church and say that that he was wrong, well, that's where we get the endowment from. The original endowment given by Joseph Smith was destroyed, but Brigham Young had it memorized, or so he says. And part of the original endowment was the lecture at the bell, which talks about these things. And it's still in the endowment because you can't separate the Adam-God doctrine from the endowment. All you can do is lie about it and try to obfuscate. The other thing, too, in the endowment, like in the temple, you're supposed to be reverent, which means hushed whispers. And you really can't have discussions in the temple and then they've got the people so hogtied that you're not even allowed to talk about the endowment outside of the temple, which is just a lie because um, the, the things that, are, that we don't talk about are the signs and tokens. And we just don't talk about them with people who have not been endowed. You know, um, the other stuff in the endowment, it's all its all teaching tools. Um, now, the Adam-God doctrine is not required for salvation, but the, intel, the glory of God is intelligence, 
and he wants us to understand who he is completely. He wants us to understand the order of the gods and the council of the Elohim and all of that, you know. And part of the reason why Orson Pratt flipped out about it is because, well, you can't find it in the Bible. Well, you can, but it's really uh, obscure. But according to him, you couldn't. Well, what's the point of the restoration if it's not going to restore things that have been lost? And just because something isn't in the Bible doesn't mean it's not true. And what I've said before is we do not have one one word from Jesus Christ's ministry after his resurrection. But he taught the people for 40 days. There's a lot of other things that Um, there's a lot of other things that have been covered up or lost. And all of that is part of the restoration. And what I see is the LBS Church, through the correlation program, attempting to hide and cover up early teachings of the church or get people to focus on on what they want them to focus on, like when I was a gospel doctrine teacher in the beginning, in the first part of the gospel doctrine manual and in other teaching manuals, it tells the instructor to stick with what, you know, the manual says and don't let anything go off topic. And it irritates me because, like, and I haven't made this point for a while, but I'll make it again. I took two semesters in college about the book of Ephesians. That's a lot of class time, a lot of study, and there's so much to learn from the scriptures. But the correlated, the, uh, you know, the correlation department, they they want to sit there and say, you know, well, we're going to read the book of Ephesians for one Sunday school lesson once every four years. And if you're lucky, you'll get 45 minutes of that. Uh, if not, then, you know, if you got a class that doesn't shut up and study, then, uh, you know, you might get 30 minutes of it. But you're only allowed to talk about what they want you to talk about. It's like the thing with Section 132. And, you know, there's so much there that you could talk about but they're just going to focus on what they want you to focus on. They want to keep you in the ABC milk toast portion of the gospel, and they don't want you to have your discussion. In fact, members who are faithful members, um, now this isn't, I don't think this is happening so much anymore, but there was a long time when if they would catch you having meetings at your house, to like dive into these deeper things, you would be hauled into the state president's office or the bishop's office and possibly disciplined because you don't have authority to hold meetings. And it's just they've got to lie. They've lied over and over again. And if you're in, a, if you're in the LDS church, you don't know that because they don't want you to know it. And not only that, at Deseret Book... I've been told by employees that work at Deseret Book that certain books, when they come in, if they're too old, 
They just have them destroyed. Teachings of the, of the leaders of the church. And that on the list of destroyed books is teachings of the prophet Joseph Smith. And we are all very lucky that low IQ people work at Deseret Book and stuff slips past them all the time. And I'm not trying to be rude, but they're supposed to destroy those books. And in the larger uh, Deseret Industries or DI, you're going to go in there and you're going to see recycle containers where they just throw away books. There's a lot of doctrinal books from leaders of the LDS church that are just chucked into the trash bin. And even um, they have so many problems with people's journals and diaries from a long time ago that they've instructed their leaders not to keep journals and diaries because something might come up where they might want to change something in the future. And then people say, well, so-and-so was this leader or apostle or whatever, even president of the church. And they said this, and now you guys are saying this. Well, they don't want to deal with that anymore. So they just, they just tell their leaders, don't keep journals. You know, they might do a biography under Sherry Dew or something like that, but they're not allowed to keep journals, which is weird because that's why we have the scriptures. Prophets kept journals, and they were canonized, you know, and the word of God comes through them. So, I don't know, it's just people cannot repent until they know just how out of order things really are. And uh, until they awaken to their awful situation. And, um, you know, that's part of the reason I do the program and also to share my witness and to teach the people, which is my job. So, anyway, I'll mute myself, Kim. Okay, continuing on, 1910. Whether the mortal bodies of men evolved in natural processes to present perfection through the direction and power of God, whether the first parents of our generation, Adam and Eve, were transplanted from another sphere with immortal tabernacles, which became corrupted through sin and the partaking of natural foods, in the process of time, whether they were born here or in mortality as other mortals have been, are questions not fully answered in the revealed word of God. Joseph F. Smith, Empirical Era, Volume 13, page 570. And now 1912. Speculations as to the career of Adam before he came to the earth are of no real value. We learn by revelation that he was Michael, the archangel, and that he stands at the head of his posterity on earth. Dogmatic assertions do not take the place of revelation, and we should be satisfied with that which is accepted as doctrine, and not discuss matters that, after all disputes, are merely matters of theory. Joseph F. Smith, Anson H. Wand, Charles W. F. Penrose, Empirical Era, Volume 15, page 417. And in 1916, <clears throat> there still remains, I can tell by the letters I have alluded to, an idea among some of the people that Adam was, was and is the Almighty and Eternal God. The notion has taken hold of some of our brethren that Adam is the being that we should worship. I am sorry that has not been rectified long ago because plain answers have been given to brethren and sisters 
who write and desire to know about it, and yet it still lingers and contentions arise in regard to it. And there should be no contentions among the Latter-day Saints. Who was the person Adam prayed to? Adam prayed to God. So Adam was neither the Father nor the Son nor the Holy Ghost, was he? And who was he? Why, we are told, he was Michael in this first estate, and as Adam, he will stand at the head of his race. Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, born of the Virgin Mary, was literally and truly the Son of the Father and the Eternal God, not of Adam. That comes from Charles W. Penrose, Conference Report, April 1916, pages 16 through 17, and also on page 23. Continuing on with 1921, as a matter of fact, the Mormon Church does not teach that doctrine. A few men in the Mormon Church have held such views, and several of them quite prominent in the councils of the church. But the church has made an announcement, made announcement of no such doctrine, nor has the church propounded it, it to the world or accepted it by any article of its faith. Here I invoke the principles laid down in the early part of my remarks, viz. that the church may only rightly be charged with those doctrines, which might be adducted from the official documents. See herself set forth as the sources of her doctrine, the very revelations of God that she has officially accepted. And from these sources, the above may not be proven. Brigham Young and others may have taught that doctrine, but it has never been accepted by the church as her doctrine, and she is not in any way responsible for it. That's B.H. Roberts, July 10, 1921, Desert News, July 23, 1921. Continuing on with 1925, those who peddle the well-worn Adam-God myth usually charge the Latter-day Saints with believing that, number one, our Father in Heaven, the Supreme God to whom we pray, is Adam, the first man. And number two, Adam was the father of Jesus Christ. A long series of absurd and false deductions are made from these propositions. That comes from John A. Woodsow, Evidences and Reconciliation, page 68. Brigham Young's much-discussed sermon says that Jesus was begotten in the flesh by the same character that was in the Garden of Eden. And who is our Father in Heaven? Enemies of the church, or stupid people, reading also that Adam is our Father and our God, have heralded far and wide that the Mormons believe that Jesus Christ was begotten of Adam. Yet the rationale reading of the whole sermon reveals the falsity of such a doctrine. It, it, it is explained that God the Father was in the Garden of Eden before Adam, that he was the father of Adam, and that his, this same personage, God the Father, who was in the Garden of Eden before Adam, was the father of Jesus Christ when the Son took upon himself a mortal, a mortal body. That is, the same personage was the father of Adam and of Jesus Christ in the numerous published sermons of Brigham Young. This is the doctrine that appears none other. The assertion, or the assertion, sorry, is repeatedly made that Jesus Christ was begotten by the Father, distinct by in any stretch of imagination from Adam. This is a well-established Latter-day Saint doctrine um, that also comes from Deseret News or I'm sorry, John A. Woodso, Evidence and Reconciliation, uh, pages 56 through 57. 1931. If what is meant is that Adam had passed on to celestial glory through a resurrection before he came here, and that afterwards he was appointed to this earth to die again, the second time becoming mortal, then it is not scriptural or according to the truth. That's Heber J. Grant, 
Message of the First Presidency, chapter, or Volume 5, page 290, February 26, 1931. In 1939, relationship of Elohim, Jehovah, and Michael, of the enemies of the church, who, quote, they wished to be honest, they could not help seeing that President Brigham Young definitely declares that Adam is Michael, the archangel, the ancient of days, which indicates definitely that Adam is not Elohim, or the God whom we worship, who is the father of Jesus Christ in all probability, sermon was erroneously transcribed. That comes from Joseph Fielding Smith, Doctrine of Salvation, uh, Volume 1, page 96, April 15th, 1939. And we're now on page 153. Have you had anything you wanted to add? Yeah. Um, as you go over this book, so I'm introducing it to the people that don't know about it. You can go read this book for free. You can study this book. You can look to see how, on one hand, you have a very clear teaching about who Adam was and who God is. And on the other hand, you've got these guys who are telling you that's not what's being said. I think it's interesting that Heber J. Grant lamented at the end of his life that the heavens were as brass to him and he had never received any revelation from God. Like, but he wants to talk about doctrine as though he is the authority because he's got the keys, which, by the way, he didn't, because Section 124 and the rejection of the church, you know, but that's another topic, but but he didn't get any revelation. He was a businessman. He's the one that got the church tied into the Rockefellers and the Rothschilds and, and did away with priesthood confirmation and a whole bunch of other stuff. But, but well, he didn't get any revelation. He's the one that made the word of wisdom into a, a, a commandment. Which is weird because Jesus said it's not by way of commandment. And they'll apologize and they'll make all kinds of excuses. Well, it just wasn't, the church just wasn't ready for it. But then God finally decided to whatever. Well, that's weird because when Moses received the, the uh, commandments of the Torah, they weren't eased into it. They were given it and expected to obey it. God didn't ease them into it. Now, I used to be an apologist for the church when I, when I understood all these other things. And the reason I understood them is because I wanted to understand my faith in, the, in Mormonism so thoroughly that I could um, defend the faith. And I, you know, I, I was an anti-Mormon Baptist, and I used to study all the crap that, you know, that the church taught and how horrible they were, blah, 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 whatever. But after my conversion, I went to Georgia on my mission and had to deal with anti-Mormon Baptists down there. And I continued to read anti-Mormon literature, which would uh, quote different things, and then I would go find the books 
and see what actually was being said. So I understood that there was changes, and I figured, well, you know, I made all made all kinds of excuses up until the point when God just basically let me have it. You know, with under uh, with the whole um, Wilfred Woodruff being poisoned to death in San Francisco and him being a keynote speaker at the Bohemian Club, that was the straw that broke my shell. Because I understand who the Bohemian Club is. And I understand that a true prophet of God would not have anything to do with them. But here's Wilfred Woodruff giving in, giving in to... And going among the uh, some of the worst secret societies that there are, you know, and just all of that. And then, I don't know, I, I don't, I just, I know that there's apostasy, and I know that Jesus said that there would be, uh, that he'd have to send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, which implies it would get out of order. So, here we are. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Okay. It is cold in my house and we were trying to get the thing to work. Okay. 1949, I believe is where I left off. Lashing out at persons who expound the belief that Adam is the God of this world, Elder Hunter stated that such doctrine is false and impossible and must be destroyed. The idea that Adam is the god of this world or that he was transplanted here from another planet is false and misleading, he declared. Milton R. Hunter, Provo Daily Herald, March 22, 1949, page 9. And continuing on in 1958, cultists and other enemies of the restored truth for their own nefarious purposes, sometimes try to make it appear that Latter-day Saints worship... Oh, you're unmuted, honey. Just letting you know. That Latter-day Saints worship Adam as their father in heaven. Yeah? Kim? Yeah? I have to say something. Like, then they start calling I didn't know if you were not unmuted for a person. I I didn't mean... I meant to mute. I didn't mute, and you heard me cough, and then thank you for letting me know, but I'm glad that I was unmuted because... They sit there and they call the fundamentalists. Yeah, they're going to call them cultists created. and they're calling them things. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Ridiculous. Name calling. They have become. Trying to make themselves be better, I guess. The LDS church has become a cult. They're, they're so full of prophet worship and idolatry. You know, and by the way, we don't worship Adam or Jesus. We worship God, the eternal father. We understand who Adam is, and we understand who Jesus is, and we are grateful for what they have done for us, because both of them have done more than when you're going to know in mortality. Then it goes back multiple, multiple uh, uh, earth rounds, eternal rounds, on older earth. You know, so, but yeah, they'll, they'll like, oh, I wanted to say this too. John Taylor, I think, is the one that set apart uh, the Council of Friends to preserve plural celestial marriage 
that's where the fundamentalists come from. They thought once things were taken care of with the federal government, the fundamentalists that were called to do what they do would be welcomed back into the church, and they waited for over a hundred years. Many of them did not have any plans to to create uh, like you know to do missionary work. They were told that their only uh, job was to keep celestial marriage alive. And in the beginning, they continued to remain in the church, going to church meetings. But by the second manifesto, all of that was thrown out, and these people were cut off for being obedient, not only to God, but to the church leaders that, that put them apart to do what they do. That's where they come from. And when the church makes them into enemies, the church created them because the church leaders were disobedient to God's commandments. And there is a principle in section 124. If you don't do what I say, you'll be rejected as a church with your dead. That's a principle. And as the church goes on and changes doctrines and changes ordinances and changes washings and anointings and moves further and further away from the restoration, they are doing exactly what Jesus said, if you, uh, you know, as far as being disobedient. And so is it any wonder why now they're like trying to make up miracle stories because miracles rarely happen in the church? When is the last time you heard the gift of tongues, which was part of the early church? Kim and I have heard it, but it wasn't in the church. I've even had the gift of tongues in many different ways, including speaking the Adamic language. But the church, if that were to happen in the church, people would ostracize that person, even though in the scriptures it says it's one of the, the one of the greatest and easy, or one of the easiest gifts to obtain something to that effect. But like you don't see a lot of miracles in the church. And you don't, you see more miracles in, um, in faith religions that are still in the apostasy. But you know what? The LDS church has had so much restored to it and they've rejected so much of the restoration that they're under greater condemnation than any other people. That's why in section 121 or 112 or whatever it is, it says that these uh, great destructions and these great curses and all of that begin at the house of God among they who say they know me and do not. And I know people make excuses as to, oh, that means people that aren't, that got their temple recommended, they're not supposed to, that's not what it says among they who say they know me and do not. He's talking about the leaders, like David O. McKay, who, for some reason, thought that he could lie to the people about how Jesus had brown eyes, and we've talked about this before. Joseph Smith said he had blue, and Kim and I and other people we know have seen him face to face. We know that Joseph Smith was correct. And we know that David O. McKay lied to his teeth about, about seeing Jesus Christ. 
these, and in fact, Gallon HL up in Washington within the last couple of years, he admitted none of the apostles or leadership of the church has had a third Nephi kind of experience or even seen Jesus Christ face to face. Which is also weird because when the first 12 uh, apostles were set apart, they were told this ordination is not complete until Jesus comes and personally lays his hands on your head. And with those type of things, the LDS Church understands how far out of order they are, and they also understand how much wealth and power they have. So they're going to get rid of teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith that that mentions that and all kinds of other stuff. Or they're going to revise it because they are liars. They lie and they think that it's okay and the members of the church who idolize the, uh, the leaders, they go along with it. Is it any wonder that Isaiah saw a tenth of a tenth, a very small remnant, being led into the wilderness to redeem Zion. It's no wonder to me, because the majority of the saints will make excuses. And when I was a gospel doctrine teacher, the majority of the saints that I taught didn't even know what we were going to be covering that week. They just show up and they want to be spooned up like little babies. And that's where they're at. They're in the little baby portion of of the church, sucking on mother's milk. But God wants to give them meat. But they can't handle it. And it's because of their own choices that they can't handle it. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. Okay. Oh, goodness. Okay, that was a little bit longer than I thought, and now I can't remember where I was. <sighs> Sorry. <clears throat> okay. Let's start here with 1958, because I think I had just gotten done reading that one, so let me read it again. 1958, cultists and other enemies of restored truth. Yeah, that's where we started talking, because you... Cultists and, the, uh, and other enemies of the restored truth for their own nefarious purposes sometimes try to make it appear that Latter-day Saints worship Adam as their father in heaven in support of their false assumptions. They quote such statements as that of President Brigham Young to the effect that Adam is our father and our God and the only God with whom we have to do. There is no mystery about this which persons ignorant of the great principles of exaltation and unfriendly to the cause of righteousness have exempt, attempted to make. Bruce R. McConkie, Mormon Doctrine, <clears throat> first edition, pages 17 through 18, 1972. Adam is not the father of Jesus Christ. Question. In the journal discourses, Brigham Young is quoted saying, Jesus, our elder brother, was begotten in the flesh by the same character that was in the Garden of Eden. And who is our father in heaven? I am unable to harmonize. With the, or this was your sentiment that Adam is not the father of Jesus Christ. Will you please clarify this discrepancy of opinion? Answer, the expression that he was the same character that was in the Garden of Eden has led to misunderstanding because of the implication which may place upon it 
that it had reference to Adam. I maintain that President Young was not referring to Adam, but to God, the Father, who created Adam, for he was in the Garden of Eden, and according to Mormon doctrine, Adam was in his presence constantly. President Brigham Young did not believe and did not teach that Jesus Christ was begotten by Adam. Joseph Fielding Smith, Answers to Gospel Questions, Priesthood Manual, 1972-73, pages 20-22. Now on 1976, we warn you against the dissemination of doctrines which are not according to the scriptures and which are alleged to have been taught by some of the general authorities of past generations. For for such, for instance, the Adam-God theory. We denounce that theory and hope that everyone will be cautioned against this and other kinds of false doctrines. Spencer W. Kimball, Desert News, October 9th, 1976. Um, hi, what are you doing? Why is he yelling? Can you hear him on that, Emmett? Okay, but he is talking. Hopefully that this is muting a little bit of it. My two-year-old is climbing on me. Criticism of the Adam-God doctrine seemed to be the strongest from the thundering and dramatic pen of Bruce R. McConkey, who wrote, This so-called Adam-God theory is false, and contrary to all the body of revealed truths, it negates the essential features of the whole plan of salvation, little's God and makes mockery of the atonement of his son and postulates the utterly absurd notion that Christ, his son, had to work out an atoning sacrifice which would bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of God the Father. Criticism of Factions, Bruce R. McConkie. Jesse B. Stone sarcastically answers these remarks of Elder McConkie and states that, All of these attacks against the Adam-God doctrine are directed against the early leaders and their teachings. We're now on page 155. I didn't know if you wanted to add anything. No, I'm on the mind route, so I'm going to break up the map. Okay. Well, I have plenty to read, so hurry up and come back down. Just kidding. (laughs) It's only um, probably another page left, just in case you were wondering. We not only compliment Elder McConkie for writing the above, but also marvel at his courage. By disposing of the Adam-God theory, he also destroys the doctrinal teachings of the early church prophets, such as Brigham Young, and a large portion of the temple endowment services as well. The Dilemmas of Mormonism, Stone, page 9. However, there always have been a few who continued to believe in this doctrine, as advocated by Brigham Young. And in 1921, there were still divisions of thought among the church leaders concerning Adam's relationship to deity. I am going to assume responsibility for making this statement that man came here, was placed here as immortal, glorified, resurrected being. I want to make myself clear because these lectures are going to the brethren. And if they want to correct them, they can I believe it was that fruit that changed and modified Adam's resurrected body and, again, made it subject to death. Is that clear? At least I want you to get my idea, and may I say that the church does not teach this as doctrine. Many of the authorities do. Others teach that a body was prepared for Adam and Eve. John M. Whitaker, Seminary Lectures, BYU Lecture 10, June 24, 1921. The Adam-God doctrine was actually taught by Brigham Young and many others for a period of over 50 years, but the defenses for that doctrine gradually diminished. 
critics against this doctrine have used the arguments of misquoted, misinterpreted, misunderstood, and various other attacks to sink the doctrine out of its existence. However, Brigham Young's persistent teaching cannot be disputed. Professor Rodney Turner of Brigham Young University wrote his excellent master's thesis on the subject of Adam and the Adam-God doctrine. This thesis undoubtedly has excelled in creating more interest and research in church doctrine than any other thesis at BYU. Professor Turner acknowledged that there can be no reasonable justification for anyone to misinterpret the meaning or subterfuge the actuality of Brigham Young's teachings on this subject. Said he, in Rodney Turner, Physician of Adam and in LDS Scripture and Theology, August 1953, quote, A careful detached study of his available statements as found in the official publications of the church will admit of no other conclusion than the identification of Adam with God the Father by President Brigham Young as an irrefutable fact. We cannot ignore or subvert those of his ideas which were expressed in undeniably specific terms in order to justify and sustain uncertain interpretations of his intent in general ones. And quote from Rodney Turner, Position of Adam in LDS Scripture and Theology, August 1953. A few individuals continued to refer to or teach this doctrine, but the increasing voices of opposition soon quieted those of the mainstream advocates. About 1937 to 1939, the first threats of excommunication were made to those advocating that doctrine. In some states, excommunication occurred nearly as quickly as for any other acceptable belief or deed. Or, I'm sorry, any other unacceptable belief or deed. On the other hand, a hundred years ago, feelings ran so high in support of this doctrine that on at least one occasion, a man was excommunicated for not believing that Adam was our God. President of the European Mission, Apostle Francis M. Lyman, said, and this is a very long quote, so I don't even see the end of it, but I will begin it anyway. While we are in the church, we are apt to think that we are pure and holy, and that every brother or sister who does not come up to the mark which we have imagined to be the right one must be wrong. Well, is this right? There is not perhaps anybody in the church who feels and thinks exactly as I do. Must I therefore conclude that they are all wrong? Among the people you are going to try and save are those who are honest and those who are dishonest, those who are pure and those who are impure. Cultivate, therefore, charity and wisdom to deal with all as their circumstances may demand. And ever remember your business is to do them good. Persons sometimes say that they have enjoyed the spirit of the work as much since they were cut off as while they were in the church. Have they enjoyed the spirit? Yes. Why? Simply because they were wrongfully cut off. They were cut off in such a way that it did not take the spirit of God from them. And the reason why they were cut off was because they did not come up to the particular standard of perfection of those who dealt with them, or they did not come up to their feelings. I have heard of a man who was cut off because he would not believe that he was our father and God. Well, but was it not so? It's being so does not change the fact that we are sinners and we need salvation. And such preaching does not help men and women to repent of their sins. I call all that preaching senseless, which cannot be applied when we get 
where such things are needed, we shall be better able to understand them. We want men to be sober, temperate, just, honest, virtuous, and pure, always doing right, rising in progressive intelligence, and helping their fellows to arise also. And to accomplish this, we must teach them to be so. Teach them principles which they can comprehend and apply. When men know so much that they cannot preach from things on the earth that have to go to heaven for them, I would as soon as they would stop preaching and go home. Men have tried to preach how resurrection was going to be brought about and all those great things, a knowledge of which is so much sought after by some individuals. I know that I can hear you breathing. Hold on a minute. This I told you was the super long quote. Such preaching will not redeem mankind nor make them wiser and happier. As for believing that Adam was our God, I do not know, but that we are gods only if it is so. We are very young yet, but could we ever feel that we are the children of a God who watches over us with more care and solitude than we can bestow upon the little ones who call us fathers here on the earth? Would not our desires and objects to be win the continued love of such a parent by leaving off everything wrong while we would seek to fill up the whole aggregate of our judgments with knowledge that is pure and holy, that we might become like that father prepared to dwell with him. Then it is well to think that God is our father. And whether it be Adam or anyone else ever struggle upwards, upwards, always keep your hearts and faces upwards, and let every struggle you make to be to or make be to carry you to the harbor of rest, the haven of peace, where you may enjoy the felicity awaiting the faithful children of our God. May the Lord bless you. Amen. That's Francis M. Lyman, Millennial Star, 24, pages 99 through 100, February 15th, 1862. And now I can't remember what page we're on because we went through a couple, but like almost 59. But you can talk if you wanted. Um, I just walked around the track to check my gates and make sure all my tires were inflated and all the stuff I have to do before I get loaded. And because I walked away from the phone, my headset disconnected. And then when I reconnected, it decided it didn't want to be muted anymore. So I didn't realize it did that. So that's why you could hear me breathing. (laughs) Okay. I thought you were breathing because you were like, seriously, what is taking you forever? Um, I was probably just breathing a little <laughs> bit extra because, like, this is on a hill, and you walk down the hill to check one side and up the hill to check the other, and I'm trying to hurry, so, because my boss today... <laughs> no, I thought all, you were just like, okay, Kim, I know that you're going through it. I know that you went through another page because you've been reading forever. That's what I thought. You were, like, no. just waiting for me, like, okay, she has to give. <laughs> no, I always tell Emmett to just read the page or the quote and tell the quote's done. So, I mean, even if a quote does take a page and a half, it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, okay. Anyway, yeah. I um, can hear you so talking to me. We're reading to page 161, right? Uh, yes, to 161, you're correct. Okay. Uh, just for people's information, tomorrow uh, will be the last chapter 
of this book. And because it is there's <laughs> yeah. Because there's so much hey, it is. uh <laughs> so many arguments about polygamy, we're gonna be getting into polygamy, which oh, is not one of my oh, favorite topics. Yay. Yeah, I mean, I, in my voice. Kim and I are open to plural celestial marriage only if God commands it to us personally. And that's the position that we take. We are not looking to be polygamists. We have lots of friends, very good friends, who are polygamists. And we do not condemn them because it is a personal decision that they have made for their lives. And they feel that that's the direction that God wants them them to go. Yeah. And my whole thing is that anything that God tells me to do, uh, whatever it is, and I know it's from him, then that's what I'm doing. So I'm like, okay, I could see where it would be beneficial for some families or, you know, women, men um, to do what they do. And I feel like a lot of the stories I've heard from men and women that we do know who are polygamists, um, I feel like, oh, okay, that was their family's path, and that's what they do. But we also believe that not everybody is meant for the same path, and not everyone, um, not everything is going to be exactly the same. So we, that's why we believe that you should get your own personal revelation on every account, and not just believe what somebody else is telling you to do. It shouldn't just be like a law commanded to all. It should be what God has asked you to do. That's my two cents. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the LDS church, young men usually, that are really excited about polygamy. <laughs> Kim and I kind of laugh because, like, they're, they want to live polygamy because they just want a bunch of wives. So that's a thing. But they're not doing it for the right reasons. They're not doing it because God wants them to do it. And it's really kind of funny to us that... Um, usually these guys who are like so gung-ho for polygamy, they haven't even been able to find one wife. <laughs> you know, it's like, why don't you worry about that after you have gotten married and you have matured in your relationship and you receive revelation from God? You know, you should be open to it. But it shouldn't be like it shouldn't be something that you're act- actively seeking. And I don't think anybody should be actively seeking plural celestial marriage. But at the same time, I think that there is a good place for plural celestial marriage. And the fact that there are a lot of women in the church who qualify for higher blessings and they don't get those higher blessings, which which it takes a man and a woman being filled by the Holy Spirit of promise to, to, uh, to achieve the higher blessings of exaltation. And that's why plural celestial marriage is a thing. And, and I struggled with it for a long time and with some other doctrines that I don't like that Brigham Young taught. And you know what I did? I studied it out. I studied everything I could get my hands on about it and looked at both sides of the, of the situation, of every situation. And then I went to God with a predetermined idea of what I thought was right. 
and I asked for confirmation on, on different things. But um, sometimes I'm not even asking for confirmation, but God gives me information through vision, through open vision. And I understand that plural celestial marriage is of God, and there is a very, very, very important reason for it, which I've talked about in the past. Because you cannot be exalted without being sealed, a masculine to a feminine and a feminine to a masculine. And if there are many more feminine who are worthy of the highest blessings, and there are less men, well... Plural celestial marriage solves that. So, um, you know, and it's it's really irritating to see so many people reject. Hold on. Uh, to see so many people reject things because of their Gentile understanding, and like as much as I try to speak up. For things like I don't have time to be getting into everything. Hold on, let it coming down. Um, I wish that I I I wish that I could. Now, what most people in the LDS faith uh, believe, as far as that are anti-polygamy, is that Jacob chapter two, I think, or five, I can't remember. Um. They think that, that God says that, that polygamy is an abomination in all aspects, except for the whole point where God says, except for when I command it, and I only command it to raise up a righteous seed or righteous children, families. Uh, but then some people twist Jacob's words, uh, well, the commandment, because it was a thus saith the Lord revelation that Jacob was giving in the Book of Mormon. Um, and they'll twist it to say that, oh, it's that God wanted them to do away with polygamy because he wanted them to raise up righteous children. And that's not what it says. And uh, when you come to the Book of Mormon with a Gentile understanding of things, you're going to miss out on so much, so much. The people of the Book of Mormon during the days of Jacob, were still under the law of Moses. And they understood the law of Moses. And they understood in the law of Moses where it says that multiplying wives is an abomination. But they also understood where there were times when God said that you have to live polygamy. You have to live it. There are also times... Uh, in the Torah, in the instructions, where God says that if you do live it, this is the rules in which you have to live it. This is this is how you live it. And nowhere in the Torah, or in the New Testament, or in the Book of Mormon, for that matter, or in the Doctrine and Covenants, is polygamy said to be an abomination. It's the multiplying of wives, which was the problem. So, but people don't understand that and um, and I do and the reason I do is because I've studied it out but the reason why I do why I really do is because God has given me very powerful um, 
he's taken me up in the spirit and showed me things and taught me as he was showing me things about different things. And that's why I understand this so well. And I'm sorry if other people don't, but you're never going to be part of the remnant if you continue to reject God's laws and treating the former commandments lightly as these people are doing is the whole reason why the whole church was placed under condemnation in 1832. Anyway, go ahead, Kim, with the rest of the next page. Okay. How ironic that a man was excommunicated for not believing that Adam was God. Oh, wait. Hold on. Um, I don't have very much longer to read. It's like half a page, which for me is like maybe five minutes. Um, so if you had any questions or comments or you wanted to call in, the call-in number is 917-889-8827. Oh, we had a epic show. It's okay. Um, so if you wanted to call in, or um, had any questions or comments, then you can call into that number um, because at the end of the program, we do take questions and comments. Okay. So, again, that number is 917-889-8827. Okay. Now I will continue on with the reading. How ironic that a man was excommunicated for not believing that Adam was God. And then a hundred years later, some were excommunicated for believing that he was. Perhaps the action of those state presidents, both a hundred years ago and those of the, of the present, could be traced to overenthusiasm. If there should be any excommunications at all concerning the doctrine of Adam's identity, they perhaps ought to be against those who believe in evolution, for they deny the existence of Adam altogether. The scriptures positively identify Adam's existence. The Old and New Testaments, Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Pearl of Great Price, and the voices of all our modern-day prophets declare that there was an Adam on the earth. Whether Adam is a son of God or a son of a God may be a technicality with some speculation, but for Christian people in or out of the church to deny Adam's existence and believe in a theory of evolution is absolutely anti-scriptural. Excommunication should be reserved for those who refute the scriptures. But compulsion for belief was never a part of Joseph Smith's principles. For he said, in Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 313, nevertheless, or quote, I will not seek to compel any man to believe as I do. Only by the force of reasoning for truth will cut own way. End quote. From Teachings of Prophet Joseph Smith, page 313. Yay, that looks yummy, Arius. Sorry, he needed verification that his hot dog looks amazing. Uh, don't poke things into it. No, no, that one's what he is. Don't you just love little okay, kids? Okay, continuing on. I know. It was so random that he was like, look, Mom, they, well, I got it. Whenever they, <laughs> whenever they find something that tastes delicious, they always want to share it with everyone and let everybody know, know. about it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. He's like putting it in my face. Uh, Lydia, the dog needs to not be in his face while he has that. <clears throat> okay. 
Nevertheless, since the April Conference of 1852, many Latter-day Saints felt the problem of Adam's fall had finally been clarified. To others, however, Brigham Young's teaching presented only greater perplexities and theological frustrations. Showing the existing confusion, Dr. Coley Christensen made the following observations. And there are five of them. This comes from the Adam God Maze, Christensen, pages 106 through 107. Quote, those who disbelieve the doctrine yet hold the belief that the church is true. Do so by adhering to one or more of the following proposals. Number one, that Brigham Young did not teach the Adam God doctrine, but was in fact misinterpreted misinterpreted or misrecorded. Number two, that Brigham did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but that these teachings were not church doctrine. And number three, that Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine. Oh, yeah? So the LDS church will also attack the Journal of Discourses because so much of the talking about Adam of God in the Journal of Discourses, and they'll attack the person who was the, the man who did the shorthand, who dictate, or he basically, yep. as, the, as the leaders were speaking, he was able to, he had a form of shorthand, which he used, and then he, when he was done with the, uh, the talk, he'd go back and write it back in, in long format, and then he would present it to Brigham Young, who was the editor-in-chief of the Journal of Discourses, mm-hmm. which was a periodical... Yeah, look it over a publication so that the Mm -hmm. saints in other places could have the writings of the speeches that were given in general conference and other meetings. So Brigham Young, he would look it over. Yeah, exactly what you said. And he would approve it. Uh, Another thing people need to understand is that the church, in the early church, they were commanded not to prepare sermons. They were told to, um, you know, speak by the Spirit. They did not read from talks like they do with the teleprompters today or like before teleprompters were invented. They didn't bring up a, a thing to read. To, to, they let, were led yeah. by the Spirit. So they didn't write down their talk, but they had the man, I can't remember what his name is, who did the shorthand, and then after the fact, they, uh, he would present it and say, is this, what, is this right? And they would, they would okay it before it was put in the Journal of Discourses. And the LDS Church wanted, under Heber J. Grant, to burn the Journal of Discourses because they didn't want the people to know what had been taught. But when they found out that the fundamentalists had been keeping them and printing them, they realized that they couldn't get away with the book burning. So they just made it really expensive to buy them, and they changed where things were, like page numbers, and they switched talks around just to confuse everyone. So if a fundamentalist said, well, in in Journal of Discourses, Volume 1, page 50, Brigham Young actually talks very clear, uh, clearly and, and plainly in general conference about the Adam God doctrine. Well, the, the people who were in the church would hear the fundamentalists say that, and then they'd go to their version of the Journal of Discourses, 
and they wouldn't be able to find it. And then they would conclude that the fundamentalists were just lying. Those darn cultists. It's the LDS church that has become a cult. They have gone further and further away from the restoration, which Jesus said they would do. When he said, I will, ha- I will send one mighty and strong to set the house of God in order, implying it would become out of order. They also attacked the doctrine of the one mighty and strong. You know, uh, they just, anything that g- doesn't go along with their present narrative, they're going to make excuses for and they're going to lie about. And it's sad that the LDS Church has decided to become friends of the world and to give up the restoration and smooth things out so that they're basically nothing more than evangelical. They're they're like an evangelical Protestant church protesting against the founder of the church, Joseph Smith, who was called up by God and the early leaders of the church uh, in an effort to to gain wealth and popularity and have more converts. Well, God is not concerned about... He's not concerned about popularity. He's not concerned about um, numbers. He's concerned about quality. And unless there are the people who will do all that God has commanded, the, the redemption of Zion won't happen. And that's why Isaiah saw that the redemption of Zion was born in the wilderness, in the desert places, by a very, very small amount of people. Because the majority of the church has gone into or was born into apostasy. So... Anyway, um, and you know what? God has actually excommunicated every single member of every single church as far as the uh, priesthood goes. In Daniel chapter 12, in the last days, Daniel sees a vision of Michael standing up, and he sees a vision of this man clothed in linen who raises his hands to the air, or, in other words, he raises both arms to the square after the manner of the Melchizedek priesthood, which is still on the earth, despite what some people want to claim. And he severs the power of all the holy people. He, or he scatters the power of all the holy people. He did that. Though 90 seconds. In linen. Okay. Um, that happened where God told me in July of 2013 to raise my arms to the square using the authority that he gave me when I saw him in 2003 when he sealed me up to himself and laid his physical hands on my physical head. And he, uh, he told me to sever the power, the priesthood ordinances and the priesthood of all the holy people. And it took me off guard. I didn't even know that that was a revelation uh, at the time he asked me to do that. And I said, why? He says, if they won't accept you as my witness, I will not accept, accept them. Basically, it's a hard reset. And there's other reasons for it as well. What Heber J. Grant did in, um, from 1921 uh, to 1957 
but David O'Mckay finally changed it back. A lot of people that think that they have priesthood never their the people in their line of authority never got it because it was never conferred upon them. They were simply ordained to offices. No conferral of priesthood. So a lot of people in the LDS church don't even have didn't have priesthood before that. But then there was corruption in priesthood in the other uh, branches of Mormonism, whether they are Brighamite branches or whatever branches, they're all in apostasy. The corrupt, there is corruption in the priesthood. And God has to have a people who are pure, who have the authority that he restored on the earth. And so he had me sever the power or priesthood of all the holy people in July of 2013. And somebody asked me, do you have to... Uh, do you have to be rebaptized in order to be part of the Exodus? Yeah, you do. But you have to be married, you have to be sealed, you have to be rebaptized, you have to have reconfirmation. And basically, when I severed the power or the priesthood of all the holy people on the whole earth and, and all of the ordinances were null and void, you have to come to me who still holds the fullness of the priesthood and the Melchizedek and the Aaronic and all of the keys to get your ordinances done. And if you don't do that and you don't accept this witness that I'm giving you that I've been commanded to share boldly, then you will not be part of the Exodus and you will not be part of God's kingdom until you repent. So... And I did not make these rules up. I didn't. I don't even want to be a leader. I'm just trying to do what God has asked me to do, and I do know that I have seen him face to face, and I do know that he gave me the authority to do what he's asked me to do, and I know that he told me to do what I have done. So, and these prophecies are being fulfilled in your ears today. And as the one mighty and strong prophesied to come, in Isaiah chapter 28, the main job of the one mighty and strong is to teach, which is what I'm doing with this program and, and all of the other things that I do. So anyway, um, so before we finish, um, I want people to know that on Monday night and Tuesday night that there is a Zoom call among oh, yeah. and it's I really enjoy sharing. Uh, I, I really enjoy just speaking to these people. Now, the majority of them, they don't know my claims, which is fine with me. And, in fact, those that do know my claims, um, I've asked them to keep it to themselves unless the Spirit uh, tells them to share it. Because I love walking among the saints. And I, I really like it when people don't know who I am because I don't want people to treat me different than, than just me being me, you know. Um, but I really think that there's a lot that can be learned in listening to these Zoom calls. You can also go to the podcast, Doctrine of Christ, and hear the lessons, but you'll never, you don't hear the discussions, and the discussions are really good. 
and yeah, these people have some things that they're working through, and they're the ones that drive me absolutely insane about polygamy. <laughs> For the most part, I mean, there's a lot of other ones that are like that, but, um, you know, just because Brigham lived polygamy doesn't mean that doctrine is bad. But what he did, multiplying wives, was bad. It was against the Torah. Joseph Smith said in April, uh, April of 1844, if in the times and seasons, if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, or the Doctrine and Covenants, you set them down as imposters. And Brigham Young, he contradicts the Torah. So I um, Did you know that I still had stuff to read? What? Did you know that I still have stuff that I needed to read? Like you interrupt me in the middle of a list. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I thought you said you were done. Oh, no. I, I thought that, like, so once you said before concluding, I was like, oh, maybe he didn't know. That's why I unmuted my mic, and you could probably hear Arius whispering in my ear, <laughs> even though I couldn't. I don't know what he was saying. Um, but, yeah, and so I was like, ooh, I better unmute it before he ends the radio show. Yeah, I was only on number three, and there is a list of eight of them, and then a oh, little yeah. tiny. I was like, yeah, I, I remember now. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay, so go ahead, and I will just shut my mouth and tell your guys to tell Emmett. to make you shut your mouth, but I didn't want you to, like, end the program. <laughs> Emmett needs to uh, have the studio open and be ready to uh, to play the end music and all that. So He's listening. And, he's thumbsing up oh. me. <laughs> oh, he's thumbsing up you? <laughs> I just I know that God has commanded me to do certain things and he one of the things that he told me to do in 2013 is to organize the Church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets and this is part of the school so and we do baptisms and ordinance work but we don't have regular meetings and uh, I don't want to be the leader of a church. I don't want people to pay me tithing either. And if God tells you to, then you're obedient to God. But if I don't want, I just don't. I don't want any of it. I, I enjoy my privacy. Anyway, go ahead, Kim. This dog put his wet nose on me. Sorry. Ew, go away, Tucker. <laughs> okay. Can he hear me? Am I muted? <laughs> Okay, Emmett says, yeah, I can hear you. Okay, number three, that Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but he was merely expressing a personal opinion or idea. Um, Just in case you were wondering, this list was um, about people who disbelieve the doctrine or and hold the belief that the church is true, um, but they do so adhering to one or more of the following proposals. So, And I was on number three. So this is number four. That Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but while in enunciating these teachings, he was not acting within the purview of his prophetic calling. Number five, that Brigham Young did teach the Adam-God doctrine and was wrong, but Brigham was doing God's bidding as the Lord wanted the saints at that point in their progression to believe false doctrine. I've heard that one before, too. Number six, that Brigham did teach the Adam-God doctrine, which was then true, but is no longer true today. <laughs> like all of a sudden, Adam was not God. Um, number seven, that Brigham 
knowing that true sheep always recognize their master's voice, deliberately advance false doctrine as a means of separating the wheat from the tares. I also have heard that a lot. Number eight, that Brigham Young did teach the Adam God doctrine and was wrong, but God has tolerance for the mortal mistakes of men, whether they be a prophet or not. In other words, a prophet can make a mistake and still remain a prophet. The very nature of the above hypotheses underscores the, differ, uh, the difficulty modern theorists have in harmonizing the past with the present. That comes from the Adam God Maze, Christian Sin, pages 106 to 107. We may conclude by saying that the mysteries of God have never been easily explained, nor readily accepted. Whenever they have been taught for this reason, many great truths in history and doctrine have been purposefully withheld by God from the general masses of mankind. And that is the conclusion. So now you may talk to your heart's content. <laughs> We're going to work, uh, or we'll be reading page 161, chapter 14, the conclusion, elect heirs, and it will be the end of that section, that, that book. Yeah, okay. Well, I've pretty much said everything I need to say on the subject. Uh, so... Uh, and I do want to hear what the lesson is tonight, the doctrine of Christ. And like I said, uh, you can you can go to the doctrineofchrist.com and see what has been written, and because uh, they have you know people who write, uh, they have podcasts, they have YouTube videos, but there is a live call every Monday and Tuesday night, and I want to hear what they have to say because I'm still learning as well. God has showed me a ton, but I don't know everything. And sometimes I'm like, why in the world did God call me to this? Like, and I look at other people and I'm like, they would have been so much better at this job than me. (laughs) But, uh, oh, I did want to say, okay, so part of the Doctrine of Christ call, Zoom call last night, we were Uh, talking about a bunch of different stuff that we were talking about receiving visions and revelation and all of that. And we were doing exercises and um, it was like, okay, so what is the first thing you see when, uh, when I say this word? And then like we went through and talked about different things. Well, one of them hit me really, really powerfully last night. Um, I had, a series of visions, which is weird when you're driving a truck, because I could still see and operate, but I was seeing visions as well. I don't even want to. I don't even know how to explain it, but it is what it is. Anyway, um, when they were saying uh, when the the topic uh, faith unto repentance, I saw a man walking on his own path or the path of his own choosing away from God, and that Jesus called out to him, and that man turned 180 degrees and started walking on the path of God, which is, I, I mean, that's faith under repentance. To have faith to choose to walk the path that God has asked you to walk, even if it's not the path that you want to walk or it's hard. I'm sure Lehi and Nephi and all those guys leaving their wealth in Jerusalem was hard. But that's what God asked them to do. 
and they did it. They had faith under repentance. They had faith to turn away from the path that they wanted and follow the path God wanted. Um, uh, another one was um, humility. And what I saw was Jesus standing on the Temple Mount, on the steps of the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, and he was standing firm in the truth of God and being humble to God while standing against the, the cultural uh, society and the, the screwed up things that the Jews are trying to do. He was humble to God. And sometimes people think being humble means that you're bowing down. Sometimes being humble means that you stand up to the truth and you're humbling yourself to God's will, not your own. Um, one of the other uh, things that I was shown is, uh, is redemption. And when that one was brought up, I saw... This is the one that really hit me. I saw myself, and I was covered in the darkest, grimiest, slimiest crap that you could imagine. I couldn't get it off my body. And this represented sin. And I was reminded of Isaiah where he says that all your righteousness as is, is as filthy menstrual rags to God, that that even the righteous have need to be forgiven to the atonement and to be redeemed by our Savior. And I saw, as I was kneeling down, crying out to God that Jesus came to me and the light of his glory melted away all of that grime and filth in my own life and I was made pure through the atonement and sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. Um, and that one hit me really hard, because I, I do feel inadequate to do what God has called me to do, and I don't want to do it, <laughs> but I'm doing it to the best of my ability, and I'm trying to be obedient. Um, and it's only by the grace, but it's only by the grace of God that I am forgiven of my sins. And that is how it is for all of us. Um, and then uh, two other ones that were kind of cool. Um, then we were asked, okay, choose five things, or like pray and ask God for five things that you can, you know, have a vision of. Mind was ark, the word ark. And as I pondered upon the word ark, I saw another vision of an ark, but it wasn't Noah's ark, and it wasn't the ark of the covenant. It was like crystal spaceships and a fleet of arcs, celestial arcs, that brought the animals and plant life to this planet. And I thought, that's really cool. It's like Battlestar, Battlestar Galactic or something, but way, way more uh, technology, technologically advanced than that. I mean, it was freaking awesome. And then the last one that I saw got... Um, put into my mind the word sun, S-U-N. And I saw the sun, and I went down into the atmosphere of the sun um, to the part that we see, and I saw exalted beings sitting on thrones of glory in everlasting burnings. And that was pretty cool, too. So, I don't know. I, I really appreciate these guys. They're working through things, and they're trying to understand things. And uh, 
Yeah, and I don't agree with everything you have to say, but I am really grateful for the the fact that God is waking a lot of these people up. And some of them know who I am. Uh, they all know who I am because they talk a lot. But they don't know who I am. Like, So this this Mark Whitson-Walter is like an actor. Okay, so Tom Hanks, he played Forrest Gump, right? And then he played a bunch of other roles. Well, Mark Lichtenwalter is a character that God has placed on the earth, but that's not who I am. Joseph Smith was a character that God placed on the earth to do a work, but that's not who he was either. He was somebody else, and there's more to him than just what the man that lived in 18, the 1800s. And it's like some people were like, I really like Forrest Gump, but but the man behind Forrest Gump was Tom Hanks. And that's kind of like with this earth. We're all in roles, and we all play certain parts, but that's not who we are. We're so much more awesome than our mortality suggests. So anyway, I just thought that was really cool, and I wanted to share that before we ended the program. So I'm on Wash Plant, so if you don't have anything to say, Kim or Emmett, uh, cue the music. Cue the music. Okay, the kids are singing. And the program. 